With Vero Vasquez, what you see is what you get. She's one half of the duo behind JZD, a queer Latina-owned lifestyle brand celebrating and advocating for Latinx culture in LGBTQIA communities. But she's no stranger to supporting and empowering systemically overlooked communities. Before jumping into the business with her wife, she worked tirelessly in the legal justice system, providing critical services for children at risk of deportation. She shares how finding community has been the backbone for her mental health and wellness balance and embracing her fullest identity. My name is Veronica Vasquez. I am a first-generation Mexican-American. I am the co-founder of JZD. I am also the chief operations uh, manager of, of the business, and I'm a lesbian, queer woman. I just wanted to say first and foremost, I obviously love JZD and everything that you stand for and advocate for, but I, what I really love about and particularly about you is that you're a fellow crier. You are always crying, girl, and so do that's, I. <laughs> that's all I do. You know, I think that it, I tell Jen all the time that I think it's like, I, I laugh about these things, but I'm like, it's because nobody listened to me as a kid. And, okay, yes. you know, I was always told, like, stop crying. So I was never really allowed to feel my feelings. And I always had so many of them, you know, and I don't like to think that I'm dramatic or anything. It's just, it's good to feel your feelings. And I feel like for such a long time, my feelings were oppressed and I didn't allow myself to feel them. So I always tell Jen, like, when I married her, I felt like I was just allowed to be me. So I did, I don't, you know, like before I used to have, like, I used to walk around with like a knot on my throat, like, if anything that happened, I was like, you can't cry, you can't cry, you can't cry. And now I'm just like, you know, if you don't like that I'm crying, then, you know, you can just tap through the story or you can ignore me or whatever. But I need to feel what I need to feel. And and it just feels so much better. Like you feel so much better after a good cry. Absolutely. You get rid of whatever negativity is in you. And if you, even if it's like, it's not always a sad cry. Like sometimes you cry because you're happy. And I feel like those are the best tears. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And I I so relate to what you just said, kind of oppressing your feelings as a child. It was almost like no one ever told me like, hey, don't cry. But I just knew like my dad was um, an agriculture worker growing up. And I just remember thinking, okay, like if he was a 12 year old kid in in a field harvesting potatoes, what do I have to cry about? So I would always just kind of keep it in. And you're right. I, I've been doing a lot of body work lately as part of my healing journey. And my coach will say, well, where do you feel it? And I'm like, it's in my throat. Like it just right feels here. so tight and it's always like burning. And she's like, you got to release that girl. So I that hits yeah. home for me. Definitely. It's just you know, you go back, being a first-generation Mexican-American um, and being the oldest of three, mm-hmm. and there was always this pressure, you know, like, you have to lead the family. You're the first one that comes to school in the U.S. You're the first one that's going through everything. And I think for parents, like, it's like, I'm so proud of my kid. Like, they're navigating this life. But they kind of forget that, we're having to navigate this life as children on our own 
and you get home and nobody understands you. Like there's no way for you to vet and be like, well, this is what's going on. Because again, my dad was a truck driver and, or is a truck driver. So I was like, well, this guy is like driving around in a truck all day with no AC wakes up at four in the morning, every single day. I really don't have a reason to be crying or my issues are really not that deep. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I just don't know how to pronounce certain words. Like those are my issues right now. It's yeah. not like my dad having to, you know, be sweating up all day and yeah. be stuck in a, in the trailer, but yeah, yeah it's that that's... sacrifice. And I want to get into it. Cause I know you're a first gen Mexican American. Now, were you born in Texas or did y'all move to Brownsville whenever you were in your childhood? I was born in Brownsville. My okay. parents are from Matamoros, Tamaulipas, which is Brownsville's border yep. with Matamoros. It, Matamoros was my, my backyard. Literally, you could see Mexico from my backyard. Um, so, yeah, the, they, they immigrated over here when my mom got pregnant. I think she, she had just finished high school in Mexico. And, yeah, that's, I've been here ever since. Yeah. And I always find this is what I love because I'm Tahana as well, right? Born and raised in Texas. But where I grew up, the town is predominantly white and very segregated, right? The brown people lived on this side of the town. The black people lived on this side of town. And it just so Mm -hmm. happened my family lived on the quote unquote white side. So I always find it interesting when I speak to other Latinas, especially someone like you who grew up in a city that's 94% Latino, right? And literally it's on the border of Mexico what yeah. was that experience for you growing up with people that shared your same culture and identities? You know, it's a little, Jen and I have this conversation a lot. It's a little weird. Uh, I grew up in Southmost. Southmost, my area, was very much a third generation and up. Okay. area for Brownsville. Yes, we're all Mexicans, the majority of us. I mean, really, that's, that's, everybody came mostly from Atamoros. And, but I was maybe one in five that were first generation. Mm. So I did not, like, I was not moved to English classes until I was in first grade, second semester. I was everything is in, was in Spanish. My first language was Spanish. My parents do not speak English. So, um, so yeah, like elementary wise, it was not an issue. I think once we got to middle school, once like puberty hit and stuff, once you start listening to music, that's when it really came and made a difference for me because I was listening to at home to Mana. Jose Jose, uh, you know, I was listening to Luis Miguel, like all, you know, the good jams. But my friends were listening to Guns N' Roses. They were listening to Journey. You know, they were listening yeah. to all these different things that their parents that were not first generation, that were not, you know, directly immigrants, they, I, I could not relate to them. So what did I do? I'm a little bit obsessive sometimes. Uh so I was like, I need to take in everything that's pop culture. Mm. So you better believe that I was like watching MTV and I was like, okay, that's Britney Spears. Okay. That's Backstreet Boys. That's insane. So 
it was a little conflicting for me for a little bit. I, I really did deny who I was. Like I was one person at home and then I was one person at school. Um, and I couldn't really relate with my friends, you know, because they were watching American Idol. I was watching La Academia. Mm-hmm. You know, they were watching all these other things. And I was like watching Televisa, Mira Quien Baila. You know, like they were watching Dancing with the Stars and I was watching the Mexican version of it. So on Monday when we go back to school, I was I was ready to talk about Uridia and about all these people from La Academia. And they wanted to talk about Kelly Clarkson. I was like, no, girl, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it was a little, although everybody around me looked like me and talked like me, they weren't all going through the same experiences as me. Looking back, I can pinpoint certain areas in my life where I tried to distance myself from the culture, from our Latinidad. Do you have any pinpoint moments in your life where you made a conscious effort to distance yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think it happened several times over like growing up. And it goes back to that peer pressure of like the people around you. Of course, my friends had parents that they both worked and they were, you know, they had gone to college and they got educated and all and all that, right? They had that opportunity. For me, really, what I really thought was like, I really had traditional Mexican parents. Mm. It did not matter if I knew you, if we both were born on the same day at the same hospital and everything, my parents were like, I don't care. I need their social security numbers. I need to know where they work, who's the dad, who's the mom, who's the uncle, who's the cousin. If you're even thinking about going to the mall with them, yes. you know? <laughs> so I think that had I, now that I'm older, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I think I would have avoided a lot of arguments with my parents and a lot of like me getting in trouble and that and all that kind of stuff. If I hadn't just, if I had just embraced like, this is who my parents are and you might not understand because your parents are, you know, they're more aware of what's going on or whatever. They don't, they're not so worried. The country is not a completely different place to them. Um, So they're okay with you just hopping on anybody's car and going to the mall. But my parents are not like that. Like, my dad needs to know who your dad is. My mom needs to know who your mom is. Like, and I need to know if you've got an older brother or an older sister, porque uno nunca sabe, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I think that was one of the things that I really tried to push away. I really tried to rebel against them and be like, I I don't want to do that. I want to be like the rest of my friends. Like, Mm -hmm. they're fine. Why can't I? be fine like them but my parents didn't know any better things like that and I think once I got to high school I really denied my taste in music mm. everything to me is in, is with music that's how I started seeing like there was a difference I've always loved you know Los Angeles Azules and you know some good cumbias some good guapangos but I didn't like whenever my friends would be like can I borrow your mp3 because it was an iPods back then it was an mp3 I know I'm aging myself <laughs> I think we're the same. They'd be like, we're good, girl. Can I, can I borrow your MP3? They'd be like, no, because they were going to listen to me having control or having, you know, something else. And I didn't want that. Like I was embarrassed. Yeah. Now I'm like, that music is the best music in the world. Why would I ever do that? But at that age, you're so, I don't know, fragile. And you feel like anybody can really, if you let them, anybody can really bully you into not being who you are. 
So I think it was instances like that. Uh, but I think once I got out of high school, I really just was like, I don't really care. I like, I like how Mexican I am because that was really the the thing that people would say. Even even though I tried to hide who I truly was, and be like, damn, but you're really Mexican. Yeah, I'd be like, wow, damn, okay. What am I like? I'm already trying to hide all these other things. Like, imagine if I really was being who I really am. How would you guys take it? Mm-hmm. But once I graduated, I think I I realized it doesn't matter what people think, and I'm gonna be as Mexican as I possibly can be because it's more fun. Yeah, and you so, have that added layer of not only cultural identity but your other intersectionalities, right? Your queerness as well. So it's like it was it's it's all the things that you were trying to figure out. I had a really hard time figuring out. No, I mean I knew I was gay but I had a really hard time accepting it. I made sure to just worry about my identity as a Mexican woman, not as a queer woman, because I was just so afraid. You're so young and you're like, well, you don't really accept me for being so Mexican. How are you gonna feel when I tell you that I might like girls? And it wasn't just that, it was, there was no acceptance at home. I saw, I mean, there wasn't a lot of gay kids when I was in high school, but the one or two that there was, I mean, their life was a living hell. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking it. I was like, I can't really commit to this yet because I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure that I'm leaning that way and it's not looking good, you know? And at home, it was just hearing that's not good. That's bad. And, and hearing it since a very young age, that's not going to do you any good in life. And if you are ever thinking about having a family or a career or being happy, that's not it. So you grow up with that mentality and you're like, no, I'm just, I'm going to suppress it. And I'm going to, I mean, I used to tell myself, I was like, I don't entirely hate boys. I guess I can tolerate it. You know, I'll be okay. It's going to be fine. But obviously... Yeah, it's all going to be fine, you know, but it's like that meme of that dog just sitting down with all the flames around him. That was me. I was like, it's going to be fine. I can be straight. Obviously, it was not the case. I just, it took me a little longer. It was a lot of fear. It really, that's really all it was. A lot of fear and a lot of fear of losing what I thought I needed to keep on going in life. Now that the position that you're in goes a lot back to representation, right? Because you can't really visualize what you could be if you don't see it around you in the world and you and Jen are now those people and you know I was laughing with Michael Madre preparing for this interview and it's like it's it's comical in a sense that it took a queer owned Latina brand for me to see myself reflected you know and, and I'm, I'm straight but you know yeah. to, to feel a place of belonging that you and Jen has created um, it's just it's just a beautiful thing to see that it really is. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it means a lot. We know you so much as as an advocate, obviously, through JZD, but that's a core value and of who you are. I mean, you used to work with immigrant children. And tell me a little bit about what sparked your interest in, in studying and working in the legal justice system. I always went against what my parents said. I guess you could say I was just a typical kid, but I knew the things that my parents were saying were not right. I think that a lot of the things that my parents would 
put out was just based on them not knowing any better Mm. and them thinking I had to work really hard to come here. Why can't everybody else do it? But that's not the case for everybody. You know, it's not that easy. It's not black and white. And I I mean, Jen always says that I'm like some sort of alien and I was probably adopted by my family because it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But from a very young age, I just, I was like, you know what, mom and dad, that, that doesn't sound right. Like we were, we had the privilege of being able to come over here. My dad was born here, but was raised in Mexico. So he had his citizenship, which is why it was so easy for us to just be like, oh, you're pregnant. Okay, let's go to the U.S. Everything's fine. That's not the case for everybody. Right. So I grew up seeing that. And I also grew up feeling like that was a lot of privilege Mm -hmm. to be able to be like, you know, mom and dad are here. I was born here. I had my, all of my mom's family is in Mexico. So I would go to Mexico like every other weekend and I'd be like, man, if only you guys could come and live with me in the U.S., it wouldn't be so bad for you guys. So it was a lot of little things like that. And I always wanted to advocate for others. If I had the chance to, it's just who I want. It's what I wanted to do since I was a kid. I mean, as a kid, I was going to be a nurse, doctor, firefighter, uh, attorney, and a veterinarian. I was going to be all those things at once. A helper. A helper. Of yes, that's life. what I thought I could do. And of course, you know, mom and dad are like, that's not possible. What are you really going to do? And it just thought I actually, he's not really my uncle. I think he's my second uncle. He's my mom's uncle. Was my mom's uncle. He passed, unfortunately. But I grew up, he was an attorney in Mexico. And I thought he was the coolest dude in the world. I was like, Dan, dude, look at everything that you're doing. And again, we come from a very humble family. And he left his family to go study in Victoria. He's the only one that's educated from that side of the family. And then he came back and he was like, okay, I'm back here in Matamoros. Let me work. And he would take me to his office when I was a little kid. And he, of course, this is in Mexico, but I would see him like he would take his clients in and they would have meetings. And I was like, wow, he's really trying to help them. I was like, I want to do that with my life. And then I got a little older and, you know, him and I always had a really good relationship, but life happened and we kind of drifted apart. Later on, I figured out that we had a good relationship because we're the gay ones in the family. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm sure he knew and he was taking me under his wing and he was trying to protect me. And, you know, you get older and again, you start seeing like, I was like, maybe they distanced me from him because ah. he was the gay one in the family and they didn't want that to like mm-hmm. become mm-hmm. a thing. But I digress. Uh, so I grew up seeing that. And then I was like, well, I want to go to law school. But I had to be very, very realistic when I went to college because I was the first one going to college. From my family. I was the first one to graduate high school. Uh-huh. So my parents had no idea what it was to pay for college. Right. I was like, okay, guys, I've graduated. What are we going to do? Like, how are we going to do this? And they were like, you are on your own, kid. Go get a job and figure it out. Because we were not. I mean, not that my parents were like, I don't think you're going to do anything with your life. Because I always felt like they had very high expectations for me. But they just didn't know how to help me. 
Right. So I had to figure it out. So I was like, okay, law school does not seem like something that I can totally do right now. So I was like, let me be a paralegal. Mm-hmm. I went and I like researched and I figured it out. And I was like, okay, we have, they have an associates program at the university. Let me do that. Once I was doing the associates program, they were like, we can offer you a bachelor's degree with this. And I was like the only little 18 year old in night classes with like 40 year olds <laughs> that had already been legal secretaries, mm-hmm. but the school was finally offering something for that. So I was like, okay, this is cool. And I, since I was so young, I was able to put myself to work a professional job pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just started seeing what I really loved. I mean, I tried my hand out at personal injury. I tried my hand out at, at a little bit of everything. And then I found immigration. Mm. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is my calling. I want to help people. I want to, like, there's just so much people are not educated enough when it comes right. to that so I was like I gotta I gotta do it so that's what I was put in this world to do is what I felt after I got a job in that I found the pro bar project which is the children's project the Salem project and that was an amazing job to have and then it was in the middle of Trump being elected as president so it was a lot. It was very taxing. It took everything in me. Like I actually had to remove myself from that because yeah, it was a lot. Like it brought a lot of my PTSD. The kids were going through a lot. I could not help every single one of the children. And it was very frustrating. I mean, to me, it was like, why can't I just call somebody and be like, just keep them here. I mean, to the point that I was talking to Jen and I was like, can we please just our extra bedroom? Can it be for one of these kiddos that I'm getting out of jail right now yeah. while their their parents or somebody figures out how to get them to where they're going. Right. I mean, I paid for infinite amount of bus tickets for them to be able to leave. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful job, but it's so difficult when you have everybody against you. Yeah. So yeah, I just felt like I, I wanted to help. I wanted to do a little bit for it. And I, I think I did. Yeah. I hope I did. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what it was. And, you know, you bring up such an important note and it's that, you know, sometimes in this world, there's such a sheer lack of humanity for other Latinas, myself included, who struggle with, you know, anxiety and depression. How do you get yourself out of those dark periods? I take my happy pills. I make sure to take them every day. Um, because if I don't, then it's not, it's not good. I'm not making enough chemicals in there for them to just mm-hmm. work on its own right but jen and i have this thing where we do technology free walks after mm-hmm. work so we go and walk around our little neighborhood and was just her and i talking and we just vent to each other honestly jen and i are best friends before we're spouses and i just she just allows me to just if we need to be quiet and that's how we are expressing how we feel, then that's what we do. But if we need to talk it out, we'll talk it out. Um, and really, I just, the community that we've built with JZD, and I go on stories and I tell them, you know, today I'm not feeling too hot, guys. Mm-hmm. And we talk. And I was just telling Jen today that I've grown, not reliant, but honestly talking to the community 
makes me feel better. Yeah. Because you feel like you can relate. Because Jen can be very biased. This is my wife. Yeah. You know? She's going to be like, no, babe, you're completely right. But then you talk to others and it's like, okay, you feel the same way as me. Or, no, you're making me see a completely different perspective of things. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, I really go back to the community that we've built and Jen. Yeah. That's what keeps me afloat and that's what keeps me sane. And I throw myself into work. I like working with my hands. I used to be the screen printer for for JZD. Um, whenever I'm having a really tough day, I'll just remove our screen printer. I'll be like, you know what? Let me make a shirt or two. Yeah. This makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to know that I'm putting something on this and it's going to somebody that I probably will never meet, but I love. And it makes me feel good. So those are the things that, that I like to do. And what I love about you is that it seems like you give yourself so much grace. That is, that's something that I personally struggle with. Give, I'll give grace out freely, but I don't give it to myself. Is that something that you've had to work on over the years or has that always come pretty natural to you? No, I've definitely had to work on it. I think that, I mean, I went to therapy. I worked through a lot of things. I was diagnosed with PTSD, severe PTSD, depression, anxiety, you know. And once a stranger told me that all these things that I was feeling were real, I was like, okay, there's, there's been something wrong with you. You are not being ungrateful. You are not just lazy or whatever because that was a first thought that I always had like you're just being freaking lazy dude get out of the couch get out of the bed and just go live life everything is fine with you you know like your life is perfect but that's not the case like there's been so many things that have happened to me that I really had to sit down with myself and be like look if you really want to keep on going with this life and enjoy everything that you've created up till now, then you got to not be so mean to yourself because it's really easy to be like, I could have done these things had I not had an episode. I could have spoken to this person had I not been anxious, but all these things are coming from somewhere. So I can't just ignore it and just be like, whatever, you got to deal with it. You're, you're lucky. You're blessed. Right. You've got your hands, you've got your legs, you've, you can see, you you know, it's really easy to do that, but you, it's, that's not the case. That is not the case. And you really do have to give yourself grace. And, you know, it's so easy for me to say it now, but even a year ago, I was still struggling with it, but you, you got to sit down and you have to have a very serious talk with yourself and be like, you're so open to give everybody a chance, everybody grace and be like, oh, you know, they're going through something. So, but what about you? That's the way I look at it now. A couple of things there. It's, it's that struggle mentality. I feel like so much of our history does come from, you know, us either crossing the border or the border crossing us and taking everything that we've yeah. had and known and our roots being severed that just because yeah. we have the bare essentials, a roof over our heads and air in our lungs, um, therefore we're fine everything is supposed to be fine. And I'm just so grateful that we're seeing these momentums and moves of especially Latinas going and seeking therapy and mental health and and working and healing. So we don't have to struggle and we can really step into our power, right? And our, and our joy. 
honestly, we've built all these things around us. Like we're, we're so strong, you know, but we can't enjoy it because we're just constantly thinking like, I don't deserve this or I shouldn't be doing this or this and that. We have to really start believing it in order for everybody else to believe it with us. If we don't, how do we expect everybody else to give us a respect and believe us and want to stand with us if we're not going to do it for ourselves? What are you seeing from the community in terms of, you know, our growth and our potential and in our stepping in the power? Everybody's so much stronger. They don't apologize for who they are. Everybody's really showing who they truly are. There's no more. Again, it goes back to like, I feel like maybe seven years ago, we were like, oh, I don't want to say that because that's too Latino. Mm. Or they're going to tell me that I'm being too feisty. You know how they like to describe us. <laughs> we're spicy. We're feisty. We're, we get angry, all these things. But I'm noticing that nobody cares about that anymore. At least there are, and like, I'm noticing that there's more women that are like, I don't care that you think that I'm spicy or feisty. I'm not. I'm just telling you how it is. And if you like it, good. If you don't, that's fine with me too. And I feel like before there was always this fear of like, I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to lose my opportunities or I'm going to lose this. I'm starting to see that people, I mean, there's still that fear, obviously, because I mean, the state of our country, but it's not that big of a factor anymore, mm. I feel. I feel like there's, there's really is like, strength in numbers and more and more we're starting to realize that we we're a family we're all like in one way or another we've all gone through those similar situations in life and you can go to somebody and be like hey I'm going through this now how did you deal with it yeah like we're all kind of communicating with each other now and I think that that's great and I'm so excited to see what else the future has for us Thanks for listening. Misma Project is executive produced and owned by me, Jennifer Yepes Blundell, and Savannah Jones is our editor. We'd love to connect with you. Hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Misma Project or send us an email at hola at mismaproject.com. And remember to please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Every time you do, you help our community grow and our voices heard. Okay, bueno pues. See you next time. 